Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I live at 626 East Lafayette Street, Rooseville, Mississippi, Sunflower County, the home of Senator James O. Eastman and Senator Stennis. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola with, by policemen, highway patrolmen, and they only allowed two of us in to take the literacy test at the time. After we had taken this test and started back to Rooseville, we were held up by the city police and the state highway patrolmen and carried back to Indianola, where the bus driver was charged that day with driving a bus the wrong color. After we paid the fine among us, we continued on to Rooseville and Reverend Jeff Sonny carried me four miles in the rural area where I had worked as a timekeeper and sharecropper for 18 years. I was met there by my children that told me the plantation owner was angry because I had gone down, tried to register. After they told me, my husband came and said the plantation owner was raising cane because I had tried to register. And before he quit talking, the plantation owner came. 
and said, Fanny Lou, do you know the pap tell you what I said? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I mean that, that if you don't go down and withdraw your registration, you will have to leave. That then if you go down and withdraw, that you still might have to go because we are not ready for that in Mississippi. And I addressed him and told him that I didn't try to register for you. I tried to register for myself. I had to leave that same night. On the 10th of September, 1962, 16 bullets were fired into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Tucker for me. That same night, two girls were shot in Roosevelt, Mississippi. Also, Mr. Joe McDonald's house was shot in. And June the 9th, 1963, I had attended a voter registration workshop, was returning back to Mississippi. Ten of us was traveling by the Cotton Little Trailway bus. When we got to Winona, Mississippi, which is Montgomery County, four of the people got off to use the washroom. And two of the people to use the restaurant. Two of the people wanted to use the washroom. The four people that had gone in to use the restaurant was ordered out during this time I was on the bus. But when I looked through the window and saw they had rushed out, I got off of the bus to see what had happened. And one of the ladies said it was a state highway patrolman and a chief of police ordered us out. I got back on the bus, and one of the persons who had used the washroom got back on the bus, too. As soon as I was seated on the bus, I saw when they began to get the fire people in a highway patrolman's car. I stepped off of the bus to see what was happening, and somebody screamed from the car that the fire workers was in and said, Get that one there. And when I went to get in the car, when the man told me I was under arrest, he kicked me. I was carried to the county jail and put in the booking room. They left some of the people in the booking room and began to place us in cells. I was placed in a cell with a young woman called Miss Vesta Simpson. After I was placed in the cell, I began to hear sounds of licks and screams. I could hear the sounds of licks and horrible screams. And I could hear somebody say, Can you say yes, sir, niggas? Can you say yes, sir? And they would say other horrible names. She would say, Yes, I can say yes, sir. So I said, She said, I don't know you well enough. They beat her I don't know how long. And after a while, she began to pray and ask God to have mercy on those people. And it wasn't too long before three white men came to my cell. One of these men was a state highway patrolman. And he asked me where I was from. And I told him, Roosevelt. He said, we are going to check this. And they left my cell, and it wasn't too long before they came back. He said, you are from Roosevelt, all right, and he used the curse word. And he said, we're going to make you wish you was dead. 
I was carried out of that cell into another cell where they had two Negro prisoners. The state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro to take the blackjack. The first Negro prisoner ordered me, by orders from the state highway patrolman, for me to lay down on a bunk bed on my face. And I laid on my face, the first Negro began to beat. And I was beat by the first Negro until he was exhausted. I was holding my hands behind me at that time on the left side because I suffered from polio when I was six years old. After the first Negro had beat until he was exhausted, the state highway patrolman ordered the second Negro to take the blackjack. The second Negro began to beat and I began to work my feet. And the state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro had beat to sit on my feet to keep me from working my feet. I began to scream and one white man got up and began to beat me in my head and tell me to hush. One white man, my dress had worked up high. He walked over and pulled my dress, I pulled my dress down and he pulled my dress back up. I was in jail when Matthew Evers was murdered. All of this is the on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. I'm Janice Graham. 
And while the 2008 Democratic National Convention represented an historic occasion for African Americans and black politics, when for the first time Barack Obama, an African American, was the Democratic Party's nominee for president, 2012 represents a somewhat different but still momentous historic occasion, a black president, Barack Obama, seeking re-election, having received on last night the nomination of his party. We thank you for being with us, and joining me tonight is Dr. Wilmer Leon, who is the host of Inside the Issues uh, broadcasting Saturdays at XM Sirius Radio and Alpha of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network. The larger narrative tonight of 2012 is the struggling economy and income inequality in the United States. African Americans as much as or more than other groups have suffered from that poor economy and income equality, making what is happening in Charlotte, Virginia, Virginia, uh, over the last three days, momentously important. The presidential election on November 6, 2012, is likely to be quite different from the Obama-McCain election in 2008. The political climate this year is greatly changed from four years earlier. The Republicans regained control of the U.S. House in 2010, and there is um, substantial national dissatisfaction with the economy and the general direction of the country. Dr. Wilma Leon and Alpha of the Alpha Show joining me now to talk about what that means and what has occurred at the Democratic National Committee's National Convention. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us at Our Common Ground. We know that the President is about to accept the nomination, and uh, we uh, will hear uh, the nation and the convention will hear from the President uh, very shortly. How are you? Doing great, Janice. And yourself? I'm a little bit uh, worn out from the political speeches of the last <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> but thank you, Wilmer, for uh, for being with us. Alpha, how are you doing? Just fine, Janice. How are you this evening? How's it going, uh, Dr. Leon? Alpha, my brother, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for asking, and I'm glad to hear you are as well. Well, let's start out by talking about what is. I think there are very few people. I think people, the average citizen, thinks of the National Democratic uh, Convention uh, or any party convention as just nightly speeches. But a lot more goes on at a convention. There are caucuses. uh, There are committee meetings. uh, The party sets policy the party sets agenda. Let's talk about that for for a while, um, because 
According to the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies, black delegates at the DNC this year make up 26.2% of the total delegates. And that compares with 24% in 2008 and 20% in 2004. And I think that's uh, quite significant. Even though the black alternates are down uh, this year from 2008. Um, And also significant is of the black delegates, 608 are men, which is 41.9% of the total black delegates, and 844 are women, 58.1%. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what this convention means, what what it means and and what comes out of it other than the nomination for the party uh, the nomination of the party's nominee well one of the things i think it's unfortunate now that they don't show the platform committee meetings as they used to show uh, a couple years ago where you could really see the the hands on and and the 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 real sausage being made, so to speak. Uh, I remember, it was probably 2000, watching the Republican convention and the uh, platform committee meetings, and that's where you saw the Christian right really taking control and taking hold of the dialogue behind the scenes. And so I think it's very important for uh, the audience to understand that you know, this is where the platform gets laid. This is where the elbows, the sharpened elbows get swung. Uh, or in a basketball analogy, this is where folks post up. And um, the direction of the party gets uh, gets articulated. Mm-hmm. And having more of us there is a wonderful thing. But there need to be more of us there with a better understanding of what we as a political constituency demand from the party instead of being there uh, just to go along to get along. Mhm. Mhm. Um and 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 one of the complexities of this whole process is that the state delegations are working all year um uh to bring to the national committees um, their recommendations regarding both the the party's platform, but also the party's agenda and and what they're going to be working on over the the next four years, because this goes on forever. <laughs> it never it never stops. Um, one of the things I, I did want to mention is that. Um, that membership on the platform committee, which is the most important committee that meets um, in this uh, convention, uh, includes 39 African Americans. And there are 50 African Americans on the credentials committee and 42 on the rules committee. So these people begin to meet, for instance, the Rules Committee was meeting last week prior to the opening of the convention, and then the state's delegates 
who were assigned, appointed to these committees uh, began to meet during the course of this week, which included um, Monday. So it, it's, it's a very complex thing, and I think it's important for people who do want to get involved in the process of electoral politics to understand that it's not just going to the convention. It's it's most of the delegates are bringing something to the the, the convention. Um, <clears throat> Alpha, what's your take on what this uh, convention means? Well, again, if I'm, I've got mixed mixed emotions about uh, this convention in, in and of itself. Um, happy that uh, the convention is raging on, disappointed that we have waited over three and a half years for any of these surrogates to take a definite stand, to fight for what they believe in. We have watched as this president has been left out high and dry all by himself to articulate his vision, his agenda, and we've watched those people that you saw. Duval Patrick, where has he been? You know, Cory Booker, where has he been? And when I say where they've been, they've come onto this uh, onto this uh, stage, and what you find them doing, they're taking the shots at Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan that they should have been taking for the last two and a half years. And I know they just got there as far as him being the nominee, and we just went through the entire nominating process. But aside from pushing back on their one-sided attack, we needed someone out there speaking up, nullifying their push to corral perception, because that's all that is. Once they have corralled the perception, it is very, very difficult to unring that bell in the heads of these low-information voters. Now, I think that the majority of Americans are just that, low-information voters. And what you have here, you have them saying all of the right things now that Romney and Ryan are are targeted. But the way we feel now and the way we will feel after the president speaks, we'll be enthusiastic. We'll be happy that it. Um, they said what they said. But noticed on the other side, they have not taken a step backwards. They continue to tell their lies. They continue to spend the money, and the beat simply goes on. Wilmer, what's your take on, um, it sounds like what Alpha is saying, that the cheerleaders didn't show up until the game. Well, he's he's absolutely right. And, and I've listened to, uh, you know, these speeches all week, and, and I've been asking the same question. For example, last night, listening to uh, former President Clinton give that incredible speech, I I, I said, well, 
Why him? Why now? Why not others? Why not sooner? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not as though the lies and the misinformation and the disinformation just started to come out since the Republican convention of last week. They've been on this game since uh, Mitch McConnell said, my primary objective is to see to it that this guy is a one-term president. I've been calling on that line on my show since he said it. I've been asking, why haven't the Democrats been looping this the same way the Republicans looped Reverend Wright? and explaining to the American people that John Boehner and Eric Cantor and Mitch McConnell and a whole and, and, and uh, um, uh, what's her name from, from, from Minnesota, uh, Michelle Bachman, and that this has been their obstructionist game plan. Why hasn't the president explained it to the American people? Why didn't he explain it two years ago? Mm-hmm. I, I, Alpha was absolutely right. The president is, uh, is, is, is uh, getting ready to speak. Just to let you know. Well, not just that, uh, Dr. Leon. You know, when they talk about or when they propagate the outrageous birth certificate and they, you know, they beat the drum, where's this, uh, where's this transcripts? Uh, he's not one of us. He needs to learn how to be an American. Where were all these people? Where were the Duval Patricks? Where was the John Kerrys, the Chuck Schumers, the Dick Durbins, the Harry Reeds? Where was Stinny Hoyer? Where was Nancy Pelosi? The list goes on. It's an endless list. I have seen uh, congressional black congressmen, Cleaver, Lewis, Clyburn, I have seen them go before the cameras much more. And correct me if I'm wrong. If John Boehner, Eric Cantor, Mitch McConnell, they're out camera facing Stenny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer like five to one. They have absolutely nothing to say, and they cede the war of perception to the Republicans, and therefore they're able to define the president, as a uh, uh, food stamp president, as a uh, redistribution of wealth, all of the negatives, all of the demonizing and vilification that has gone on, and now they want to talk their way out of it. They want to point the finger at the other side and point out their shortcomings when they met on Inauguration Day while he was dancing with his wife, before any policy had been put forth. They had plotted how to stop him, Newt Gingrich and Frank Luntz. And when it all comes down to it, this this climate, this atmosphere of divisive, this blood sport, I think can be laid at the doorstep of a Newt Gingrich from the time he was Speaker of the House. Yeah, but let let me interject here and ask your 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 thoughts about uh, some other things that we need to look at in terms of the uh, blacks 
and the Democratic Party organization. I mean, you say, where were these people? I don't think, and uh, Dr. Leon and Alpha, both of you, have been guests on the show where we have talked about what we knew about what was happening in the background from the very beginning. I mean, I started talking about um, are we going to allow the, the great beatdown of Barack Obama, and it was like two months into his administration. But, you know, black representation in the Democratic Party at the national, state, and local level is substantial. There are 101 black members on the Democratic National Committee, and they make up 22% of the committee's membership. And they hold important leadership positions in state parties across this country. Where was that leadership from the Democratic Party? So we can't all, in my mind, we can't just hang it over around the neck of elected officials. No, but I think a huge part of that um, void, came from the top. It came from the president with his deracialized politics. And it also came from his reluctance, his uh, resistance to speak about, uh, to speak to us or speak with us instead of speaking at us. And so... And then, and then you have a whole cadre of individuals, whether it's uh, Reverend Sharpton, whether it's uh, Tom Joyner, or whether it's Steve Harvey, who want, when there are those of us that are crying out, they tell us to be quiet. They call us Uncle Tom's. They tell us we're jeopardizing the president's reelection possibility. <coughs> and we just have to sit back and, you know, uh, let this whole thing roll. Um, so there's been this, there's been a whole, and then, and then of course you have the Congressional Black Caucus trying to meet with the president on nine different occasions to talk about targeted uh, job programs, and you have um, Valerie Jarrett canceling those meetings. So I think a lot of what you're asking is a is a result of. What has come from the top down? Mhm, mhm. But you know, but the other the other thing that comes to mind, uh, Wilmer, is is this that we have invested as a people ninety seven ninety six percent of our electoral capital into this party, and no one should be able to dictate to us because we understood what was going to come because when they were talking to Barack Obama, they were also talking to us. And we understood what was going to come and the kind of toxic racial environment that was being created by the target on the president, that it was going to come back and bite us in the, in in the butt, and that's what happened in Florida. 
That's what happened in Ohio. That's what happened in, 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 in Michigan. Because the, 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 the people who call themselves Democrats did not stand up and say, we are strong, we are one, you will not demonize this, this president that we, we nominated and elected, and we're going to stay on course on the Democratic National Committee's platform. And that didn't happen. It did not happen. You know, I look at Corrine Brown and Alcee Hastings and and others in the state of Florida and how in the last six months they have been desperately scrambling around to turn the tide. They didn't stand up for Charlie Chris. They didn't they didn't have a viable democratic candidate for governor of Florida and it all went to hell in a handbasket in the state of Florida, and it still is. Because the state of Florida, because the, the black progressive politics in the state of Florida is under siege and under lock and key. So I, that's that's my take on it. We, we, we just can't, you know, uh, 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 yeah, I wanted to know, where was Corrine Brown? I wanted to know where where were the voices of the Black Caucus, independent of what this president said, gave messages of what he wanted in terms of keeping a racial neutral in a political environment. But it was already tainted. You had the whole thing. I mean, it was still looping. Um, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, even after he was elected. <laughs> so um, I think that, and the other thing, and woman, when you were on our common ground, and I hear you uh, every week on your show, uh, and Alpha every week on your show since the election of this president, talking about the need for localized initiative and action to support what we think ought to be the targeted agenda for the African-American community. And we didn't take care of business. What do you think? Well, no, we haven't. And uh, I think there are, there are a number of reasons for that, for that tremendous failure. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, uh, too many of us thinking that that we've that that we've that we've arrived. Too many of us believing in 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 quote unquote America and that it's and that it's working for us. Um, our politics has to mature. Uh, we have to get out of this politics of personality and start understanding the politics of policy and policy outcome, and that without policy outcome. Then, then you're really you're really just engaged in nothing. Uh, I mean, there there are a number of facets to this. Um, too many of us thinking on a grand scale that we need to solve the problems of the world. And as I say on my show all the time, work on your work, first of all solve the problems in your living room, then move out into your front yard. 
and then just worry about your block. And if more of us worked on the local politics, just dealing with our own kids' schools and what's happening in our neighborhoods, then, you know, a lot of the other things would start to trickle up, particularly now that we have the technologies that we do and we're able to connect with a much broader group of people in a much simpler way through the Internet. But, uh, you know, we've lost an awful lot of this political momentum, and too many of us believe now that we've got a black president that all of a sudden he was going to take care of the problem, not understanding that it's incumbent upon us to force him to see to it that that happens. So, uh, you know, there are I think there are, and I'll, I'll defer now to Alpha, I think there are a number of, of, of elements to answering that question. Well, let me say, I can use this very simple analogy. It's like when I was growing up and we was on our way to fight and we always kept looking over our shoulder to see if the biggest kid was on his way or right behind us. And he gave us this 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 this, this courage. And we as a people thought that somehow this president was going to be behind us every step of the way when he had bigger fish to fry and it wasn't at a local level. You you fight your battles. You fight your own battles. This one man is not going to grab a community and pull it up by his bootstrap. He had designated $48 billion to services such as SNAP, uh, to the weatherization um, program, to the uh, – there's a list, a long list of programs that he allocated money to the – Rehab of, of living quarters and, and hood, and you know he, he he made sure that they got the finances, and that's all they did. They just the finances either sat there or they were squirreled away or weaselled away by the thieves in the night. And when we sat back and waited for the president to lead us, rather than taking the initiative and leading ourselves. Janice, you're absolutely right. We not only failed the president, we failed ourselves. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And I You know, I, I'm um I'm um I'm I'm looking at a transcript of the president's speech right now and um and he is covering uh what it meant for the what he calls the great um the Great Recession, and and he's talking about a decade of decline. For those of you who are not listening to the president's speech, I don't want to give it all away. Um, and he's suggesting that the Democrats are offering a better path. But to the point of what we have been doing, you know, like you have to you, you have to consider what have we been doing for the last three and a half years. Uh, and and I hear Wilma saying we've been hoping that something different was going to happen, and we didn't, and it was going to happen kind of like naturally, automatically, because we had this African American president. Now that we understand that it is not, and I think that this Democratic Party understands uh, so much more than they even understood last year this time, because you're hearing these voices, um, 
I mean, um, the First Lady's speech was really a compilation of what she has been saying even in the 2007 on the 2007 campaign campaign trail and it's just a compilation of some wonderful things and and Wilma you are absolutely right she was the most graceful uh the most captivating speaker over the last um 3 days uh i have to compare her to also to Joe Biden. I listened to Joe Biden tonight, and um, and and they both have it right in terms of speaking to the hearts of hopeful American citizens. But let's let's talk a little bit about Alpha's question of where has Deval Patrick been? Where has John Kerry? When I saw John Kerry, and I, and I I will tell you. That was, I have heard John Kerry speak literally maybe 20 or 30 times. And even in his own campaign, he was not as 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 passionate and as targeted as he was tonight at the Democratic National Con- Convention. And I think because they understand that they are at war with a very large segment of Americans who are uninformed, misinformed, disinformed, and jaded and blind. But Janice, aren't these aren't these all supposed to be smart individuals? And I'm sitting here at my kitchen table, and if I can see this, and if I can see it from day one, why couldn't they see it? Or were they so blind with um, collegial uh, uh, behavior. I don't know, you know Dr. Dr. Leon is the, the, the political scientist here. He's going to have to tell me. And, you know, as we go along, share some, some of what you think your listeners have been saying about these, about these subjects. Well, I think, first of all, it, it's important to understand that, that the Republicans – have learned since uh, since the 80s the importance of marketing. They market their ideology, and they coordinate amongst themselves the message. And no matter what you say to them, no matter what data you use to refute them, they're not getting off point. As one of Romney's pollsters said, we are not going to be controlled by fact checkers. That means don't confuse me with the facts. I have a message, and I'm going to sell that message. They have a pollster by the name of Frank Luntz who spends an awful lot of time. He, he, He has come up with the idea of political speak, understanding how you structure a message so that you can convince people to vote against their very interests. And they've been very adept at doing that. The Republicans, um, the Democrats, don't get it. They just and don't get Deval, it. And that's what Deval Patrick was saying, and as the leader of the uh, Commonwealth of Massachusetts Democratic uh, Committee, I'm wondering if he has 
delivered, he evidently has not delivered that message. And I think part of that has to do with, and this is a, not an inside secret, but it's kind of like a secret, that Duval Patrick has, has been a defender of Bain Capital uh, yes. for many years and for the two terms that he's been governor of, of this Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So he was kind of like in a quandary. And one of the things Alpho has been saying on his show for at least four years is that you're right, uh, Wilmer, that the Republicans – what's that thing you say, Alpha, that the Republicans um, accuse – go ahead. Well, what Republicans do, they um, they admit nothing, they deny everything, and they accuse everyone of what they're guilty of. But even even to a greater extent, they don't back down. They don't apologize. They are in lockstep. They, you know, for now, what this looks like with Deval Patrick and Cory Booker and all those who are throwing and slinging arrows and they got their little rocks in their slings, and but they're throwing it and they're firing at tanks and steamrollers, and they're just a step ahead of the steamroller now that it's come for them. They wouldn't protect Acorn. They wouldn't protect all of the people that they came for. They wouldn't protect affirmative action. They wouldn't protect the reversal of the race card. But now it comes for them, and it's hitting them in, at home. It's about to beat up. It's about to destroy or finish destroying the middle class. And now if they're ready to mount some type of defense behind some straw wall as they throw throw arrows, not shoot them, throw them. And so they got their little slingshots, but they're shooting at tanks and mortar fire and automatic weapon fire. And it just seems to be too late. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. money eclipses the ground game, it's checkmate. Checkmate for the middle class. For more Wait, than so- half. And I believe that liberals, progressives, the poor, the minorities are more than half of this nation. And we will fall into this six to eight year caress of Republican rule. They've got the states and they and this is how they got the states. The two thousand and ten um shellacking that we took was really due to Two things, the lack of aggression from the Democratic Party, not just the president, the weak Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi did her job. But when Nancy Pelosi sends over uh, 400 and something bills and they die at the Senate because Harry Reid won't say, won't put his foot down and say, wait a minute. These filibusters are unprecedented, and we're not going to take it anymore. We're going to get our agenda through and simply declare a nuclear option. And all that nuclear option says is when it doesn't pass the 60-vote cloture, that one senator stands up and say and challenges it with the parliamentarian and turns it into a majority vote. And that's what he didn't do. And that's why I say, now that was the first thing. 
When you have a Democratic Party that has allowed this to take hold, now, the second thing that they did, in in this event where they were trying to somehow fix Medicare, and the Democratic's idea was, let's just add a tax to the rich folks. And the Republicans were standing over going, no, 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 no. The Democrats capitulated and appeased again. And they said, well, we'll simply take 760, no, back then it was $500 billion from the uh, patient uh, providers and the hospitals. And we will, we will get you preventive care and we'll close the donut hole that way. And they had fallen into the trap. The trap was set. Because then the Republicans went on air with their money and with their sound machine. The Democrats are cutting $500 billion from Medicare. And that, those two things are what swung the minds of the low-information voters and put the Republicans in charge of the House. Now that they've got in charge of the House, <laughs> good luck getting it away from them. Now Citizens United has grown by leaps and bounds, and you're fighting an uphill battle with the money. They're attacking you on every front from voters' rights to voter suppression to early voting to you can't register people unless you fall under the law of penalty if you don't turn. They've added so many extraordinary rules, so many hurdles to jump over that at some point in time, what type of, what kind of malfeasance and malpractice is this by the Democratic Party? Mm-hmm. When people ask me, what has the Democratic Party done for you and how come you a Democrat? They're just using you. Well, it was the Democrats that brought us Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, interracial marriage, women's rights to vote. All of those things are my interest. And now it's don't ask, don't tell. Now it's all about a particular movement. Mm-hmm. And but, when you, you know, well, it's, it's, I think it's also important to uh, – We've, we've got to distinguish between the rhetoric and the action, because uh, a lot of you know you, you listen to the president, but then you have to look at what he does. On the financial side, look at who his advisors are: John Corzine, Larry Summers, uh, uh, Peter Orzag, Timothy Geithner. You know these are all the banksters that caused the financial crisis in the first place. But these are the very people that he's brought on board in the White House. to inv- the, the, the people that drove the bus into the ditch are the same people that he's now asking to get the bus out of the ditch. Yeah, he he hired the same bus drivers. He, okay. he, hired, he hired the same bus drivers. Um, on the one hand, the president is talking to us about uh, you know uh, the middle class and 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 protecting the middle class interests and and all of those kinds of things, which of course need to be protected. But then he signs the twenty foot twenty twelve Defense Authorization Act that allows him 
to uh, detain, indefinitely detain American citizens. His um, his attorney general comes out and says, well, it's okay for him on his own de- decision or determination to assassinate American citizens over, uh, abroad. So it, it, it's very important to pay attention to what's being said juxtaposed to what's being done. And so, which is not to say don't vote for Obama, which is not to say vote for Mitt Romney, which is not to say anything other than you got to pay attention not only to the rhetoric, but you've got to pay attention to the action. When you look at the Israeli the policy towards Israel, his policy hasn't been any different than George Bush. The rhetoric has been softer, which is what has aggravated um, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the, and the Zionists, both American and Israeli. They haven't been aggravated at the action. They've just been aggravated at the at the rhetoric. His rhetoric has been softer. But the action has been the same. Palestinians are still catching hell. <laughs> so so uh, we have to be much more, we have to be better consumers of this politics, and we have to start understanding policy output, because that's what politics is all about, policy output. We're so hung up on the personality. We got a black president, and that's a wonderful symbol, and, and, and I say that in all sincerity. It's a beautiful thing. And we do stand a better chance with, with Obama than we do with Mitt Romney. I can't debate that. But output, action versus rhetoric is what you got to look at. He oh, saved God. the banks. He saved the banks and left the homeowner hanging. Well, and then – and then he wants to say that he didn't realize that the banks would do what they did when they were bailed out. Well, you got Timothy Geithner, you got Larry Summers, you got some of the so-called greatest financial minds in the world, and they couldn't figure it out? But I knew it was coming? Come on now. Well, I was I, born I that agree. night, not last night. I, I agree with you, uh, Dr. Leon. Uh but when you start talking about those uh, financial uh, insiders, I want to ask you this. Do you think that him bringing in some new blood, someone who wasn't in the clique, would somehow go un unaccosted by the good old boys of the Federal Reserve? Do you really believe that when you start talking about those who were responsible were somehow going to give way to someone with a new. Look at how. Um, what's the big guy? What's the tall guy's? Um, Hank Paulson. No, 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 no. Hank Paulson was the one who was talking about three pages. I'm talking about the uh, advisor. Um, I can't think of his name. He's a he's an economic advisor. He's a six seven guy. Ball headed glasses. Not totally bald. But he's balding at the top. Okay, I'm 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 not coming up with the name. Go ahead. Blank. Well, go ahead. He he offered up an economic plan, and they fought it tooth and nail. It had to do with the financial reform. 
Volker. Oh, Paul Volker, okay. Paul Volker. Now, Paul Volker was in that clique, but he was kind of an outcast. Right. And when he and when he came up, when the president wanted to follow the Volker rule, what happened to the Volker rule? Oh, but see, no, but see, you're you're making my point because you and I are on exactly the same page because the, my answer to your question is, well, if you believe the guy who talked about change we can believe in, if you believed in the guy who talked about starting a new direction, if you believed in the guy who talked about transparency in government, then the answer to your question is very simple. Yeah, I expected him to bring in a whole new cadre of economic people with a, with a whole different plan. But that's the rhetoric versus the reality. The reality is he talked all that stuff and then brought in the same bus drivers that drove it in the ditch. And he also then bailed them out at, at the expense to a great degree of the American homeowner, because if the if the toxic mortgages were at the crux of the financial crisis, then you don't. Then the solution to me is you don't bail out the bank; you make the mortgage not toxic. Well, that was the the fact that they bailed out the bank. The bank bailed out the tot. The first part of tarp was no hands, no. No strings attached. Here's the money. Do what right. you want to do with the money. Right. And and, and his it. and his response and the president's when, when the bank sat on the money and refused to lend, the president's response was, "Well, we didn't expect him to do that." Well, this was after it had already been done. That first three hundred and seventy-five billion was out the door. No, I know that. No, I know that. And and, and what I'm saying is, people, the the, the the money went out the door, and then. The banks didn't lend, and people started saying, well, wait a minute, you gave them all this money, and they're not lending. What happened? And he went, oh, we didn't expect them to do that. Well, that, I, I agree with you on that. And they turned around, and they used the money to buy up to the smaller banks. Right. They used the money they did to what banks people. do. And, and my biggest, my, my argument against what he was doing then, and I was advocating for him to use his executive power, and his executive power would have allowed him to audit those banks. They could have never passed the audit. That way you hold the threat of nationalizing them over their heads until they do loan the money, until they get up off of the financial for the small businesses to get the economy rolling. That's the first thing he did that wasn't, you know, on the, on the plus side for me. Well, it also it also let let me jump in here for a minute. It also underscores the many mistakes that this new president, who seemed to have have had an intuitive instinctiveness on the campaign trail, but got into office and had no savvy. Around, I mean, when you when you think about the the, the financial appointments that Wilmer just. Um, uh, just mentioned when you think about the way in which he responded to the dysfunctional management that the Bush administration left him in regard to addressing the financial dilemmas, 
it was as though he had no savvy around the whole world is watching and this is an opportunity for you to be brave and bold and think out of the box and operate like the people who who who, who elected you expect that you're going to operate. I, I don't think savvy had anything to do with it because no. when you listen when you listen to uh Bobby Rush, when you listen to those who went to law school with him, what they'll tell you is the politics that he ran on weren't his politics. One of the first things that he did or one of the first things that he said when he came into office when it came to prosecuting or at least investigating the Bush administration and determining whether or not George Bush, Dick Cheney, Connolly's Rice, Colin Powell should be should be uh, brought up on charges for war, as war criminals, we're going to turn the page. Mm-hmm. We're not going to investigate. But this. that's what I mean by not having the savvy. No, that wasn't understand. savvy. That wasn't savvy. He, that that's what he was there to do. That was the deal. That was uh-huh. the deal. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't. I don't think savvy had anything to do with it. I I think that's who the guy is. And yep. that's who the guy's always been. I don't think Savvy had anything to do with it. Well, you uh, know, another 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 uh, uh, point of fact about who he who he is is that um, he has. You know, uh, you look at his record on black appointments, and Alpha is absolutely right how they allowed the malignment of one of the the most prevalent organizing organizations, which was ACORN, mm-hmm. to just be beat the hell out of town. I mean, I'm sure, Wilmer, you felt the dust as ACORN was getting out of Washington. And out of Washington. Um, you know, he, he, he appointed Eric Holder as the attorney general. Now, Eric Holder is a career person. Nobody that that has been uh, accustomed to doing anything but what the regulations and the bureaucracy dictates. That's how I read it. Then the EPA administrator, Lisa Jackson, and then Ron Kirk and Susan Rice. None of those people... Are, have been exceptional, and so it may run the the gamut of what you're saying, um, Wilmer. That his 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 black imp- appointees even reflect an already agreed upon agenda. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I say to my students that uh, when you again when you look at the at the at the 2012 Defense Authorization Act, and you, and you look at uh, Eric Holder's statements. If he comes into the office with a historical understanding of COINTELPRO and how the government has been used to undermine African American interests, you can't sign a bill that allows the government to indefinitely detain American citizens because you have an understanding of what J. Edgar Hoover did to Dr. King, to Malcolm, to the Black Panthers, to so many other organizations. 
in this country that were striving and struggling for civil rights in this country. You can't do that with that with that level of historical understanding. You, you, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get there. Mhm, mhm. So essentially, one of the mistakes, if 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 I'm following you, Wilmer, is that we have to understand that we have translated what he says out of our own sense of sen- sentimentality, as Dr. Matthew Johnson would say, and come to our own conclusions ra- rather than looking at the reality of who this president is. And that would, in turn, dictate how we respond to his presidency and to his administration. Absolutely right. If we... If we um if we stop getting caught up, and I keep using this term because I think it's very descriptive and, and apropos, if we move beyond the personality, and, and you know, uh, uh, Alpha was talking earlier about you know the, the 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 Democratic Party gave us the '65 Act, gave us the '64 Act, gave us civil rights and all that. Absolutely right. We were you know we were Republicans. Up until we started making our transition from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party in the mid-30s through the Roosevelt administration, as we got access to New Deal programs, and our politics, our shift in politics was based upon policy. It wasn't based upon sentiment. In fact, I can't remember his name, but he was the, he was the editor of the uh, Pittsburgh Courier. He wrote around 1934, "It's time for us to turn." Abraham Lincoln's picture to the wall. Our debt to the Republican Party has been paid, and we now have to think anew. Mm-hmm. And 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 so we started making this shift over to the Democratic Party because there were policies that were beneficial to the black community. And then, of course, that, that shift became solidified in the 60s as the Democrats understood there's a voting block out there that we can access if we champion their interests. And so, hence, civil rights legislation, we become firmly entrenched in the Democratic Party. The problem, though, is that now we've stopped making those demands. Absolutely. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, and the President has accepted the nomination of the Democratic National Convention uh, as their candidate, as their candidate uh, for president, re- for a re-election as president of the United States, and it looks like uh, there is a great, big victory and celebration going on at Charlotte, Virginia, here at our common ground. Joining me tonight to talk about the Democratic National Convention and what it means as this president accepts the nomination. Um, is uh, Dr. Wilmer Leon of Inside the Issues with uh, Wilmer Leon on XM Sirius Radio on Saturdays at noon, at 11 or noon? 11, 11 to 2. At 11 a.m. And Alpho of the Alpho Show at TruthWorks Network, which airs on Friday evenings at 10 p.m., and we hope that you will join both of them this weekend as we as we continue to challenge our thinking about what all of this means. I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. We're going to take a break. When we come back, 
Uh, we're going to go through some of the transcript of the president's speech tonight. Uh, I am sure that tomorrow night at the Alpha Show and on Inside the Issues with uh, Dr. Wilmer Leon on Saturday that we will continue to be dissecting what this all means and going out on this break. We're going to take a look at what President Barack Obama said on the night that he was elected in November 2008. If you'd like to join us in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. I'm Janice Graham. Our number is 347-838-9852. And if you'd like to talk with our host panel tonight, you can dial that number, 347-838-9852. I'll be listening for you. And cast her vote. Because after 106 years in America, through the best of times and the darkest of hours, she knows how America can change. Yes, we can. America, we have come so far. We have seen so much. But there's so much more to do. So tonight, let us ask ourselves, if our children should live to see the next century, if my daughters should be so lucky to live as long as Ann Nixon Cooper, what change will they see? What progress will we have made? This is our chance to answer that call. This is our moment. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace, to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one, that while we breathe we hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. You are our mothers. You are our sisters. You are our daughters. AIDS is the leading cause of death for black women ages 25 to 34. But there are things you can do to help. Prevention is power. Get educated. Get tested. Get treated. Help stop AIDS. Republican Congress is looking to defund parts of Dodd-Frank. In the face of these losses, of this risk-taking, why aren't the Democrats out pointing the fingers of you saying they will be responsible should there be a need for government to step in with another bailout of banks because of this risk, about of these risky derivatives of trading? Why aren't the Democrats pointing the fingers at the people who are standing in the way of reforming the financial institution? That's malpractice, malfeasance. And to me, it just simply seems that I know. I, I'm not. I know because they're getting money from these same financial institutions to stall, to get this into 
But if Republicans are playing cutthroat politics, why are the Democrats playing that? And why can't they be on the offensive? And that, that's the first. Here's the second charge. You've got the Republicans beating this old message of debt. You got Mitt Romney standing in front of a dead clock now. And that will be the narrative. And the Democrats, you don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another debt fight. As they The best of political talkback, common sense, right from the concrete. Urban, progressive, politics. 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 Friday night at TruthWorks Network. 10 p.m., Alpha drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show. I'm Janice Graham, and you're listening to Our Common Ground. provide leaders of opportunity to this nation of dreamers. 
If you believe in a country where everyone gets a fair shot and everyone does their fair share and everyone plays by the same rules, then I need you to vote this November. He went on to say, America, I never said this journey would be easy and I won't promise that now. Yes, our path is harder, but it leads to a better place. Yes, our road is longer, but we travel it together. We don't turn back. We leave no one behind. We pull each other up. We draw strength from our victories and we learn from our mistakes, but we keep our eyes fixed on that distant horizon, knowing that providence is with us and that we are surely blessed to be citizens of the greatest nation on the earth. What's your response? Well, I love America. This president doesn't know how to be an American. (laughs) Uh, 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 He's envious of us. (laughs) You have to look at the difference. Where the difference... Look at the rhetoric coming from the right. They have nothing but criticism. They they refuse to say what they're going to do. We will tell you when we get in office. How can that be anything but a losing proposition? And it's going to win unless enough surrogates come out and point, point it out. You can't vet his taxes, his tax uh, plan. You can't vet his economic plan. You can't vet his 59 points. You can't vet his tax returns because he won't show them. He's full of mystery. He's full of secrecy. In fact, he's full of bovine. So what you're pointing out, Alpha, is that people of goodwill, people who are justice-seeking, people who are looking to change and transform and have hope and courage and what's the other thing he said and be on fire and be get ready uh um all those other things that we're looking at two simple options uh one is this current president who has his faults that uh Dr. Leon certainly um laid out earlier and uh, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Dr. Leon, what do you think about about? I mean, he, he didn't seem to talk very much about any specifics going forward. He didn't seem to address very specifically what he's thinking about in terms of the Democratic National Committee platform that was adopted on Tuesday. Well, I don't know that. In, th- I think this particular campaign is um, very unique in that I think both sides are still concerned about their base, and they're still concerned about motivating their base and getting their bases to turn out. You know, usually when uh, during the primary process, if you're a Republican, you tacked as far right as you have to, to to win the nomination. If you're a Democrat, you tacked as far left as you have to. And then once you've secured the nomination, you tack back to the center in order to um, get the independents and those in the middle. Well, in this instance, Mitt Romney has gone further right. The president has stayed pretty much where he's always been. 
the the point though is that uh I think most of what this president spoke to in this speech was to his base. It, 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 it he didn't he trying to get them to buy into a concept to get them to buy into an idea, not to buy into a hard set of of policies. I think his jobs plan that he introduced over a year ago is a set policy. Yes. I think his um, – we know what he's going to do. He's already laid it out there. He's been working on it for four years and has and and been beaten back every at every turn. Well, what makes anyone think it's going to succeed again? What makes anyone think that the Republicans are going to put country first over politics first? And tell me this. Tell me this. If Republicans win, why wouldn't the Democrats use the same tactic and just grind this damn country to a halt? Absolutely right. What would be the upside of that? If Republicans can obstruct and run the country into the ditch and and regain power, why wouldn't the Democrats do this very same thing. And that's your choice. That's the choice between the extreme Republicans who want to destroy the middle class. This Medicaid cut will devastate the sick. They will thin this herd out quicker than cluster bombs. You'll have old people dying on the street because they can't afford a nursing home. You will have middle class and poor children dying in the street because not only can't they afford the health care, but they don't have a roof over their head because of the draconian cuts. Paul Ryan's budget in a span of 10 years will cut every government program by 91%. And don't and 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 when when you think about it, if you look at the Ryan budget, and there's not a lot of talk about it, it's merging some very key um, government agencies, like folding all but one division, uh, one program area of HUD into the and into the Department of Commerce, which means that the developers, the builders, home builders. And that whole industry, as uh, uh, the corporatists, will take over affordable housing in this country, and it'll be privatized. It's the privatization of America. Yeah, which is which is which is what Mitt Romney, as a corporatist, is all about. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that the 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 drumbeat? Why isn't that the the battle cry? Well, and 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 Alpha, to your to your point. Why wasn't that really anywhere explicitly articulated in the president's speech? Now, Bill Clinton laid it out. Bill Clinton took 48 minutes. I posted this on Facebook this evening and and tweeted it. Bill Clinton took 48 minutes last night to articulate what the Obama administration has been unable to do in three and a half years. He did it in 48 minutes. And he laid out very clearly, 
if you believe in Mitt Romney, you are an idiot, and here is why. Two plus two equals four. Arithmetic. In fact, he didn't say mathematics. He, he said, said arithmetic. arithmetic. Yeah. <laughs> because arithmetic is a is a much lower level of, yeah. the, of mathematics. You know, I, he I, I didn't hear. I was on the air last night, so I didn't hear um, uh, uh, President Clinton's speech. Oh my goodness. And I was fortunate enough to be able to hear it as audio. Uh, this morning, that he was, was an utterly brilliant presentation. Yes. Brilliant yes. presentation, and I, you know, I think President, I think to to a certain degree, President Obama is too smart for his own good, and he 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 thinks anyway that he's operating at this high level, but. He at sometimes you know you got to come down and put it where the goats can get it. Mm-hmm. And and tonight you know rhetorically, you know it was good, but he needed to call out Mitch McConnell. He needed to call out Eric Cantor. He needed to call out John Boehner because they're the ones that have been responsible for. And he and and uh, as I talked about before, uh, that crazy woman from Minnesota. Michelle, Michelle Bachman and, and yeah, he I think and he, Nancy he, Brewer in 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 the governor exact, of Arizona exact he needed to use Joe their Wilson. own words. You lied, Joe Wilson. It, there you go. He needed to call them out and use their own words and you know say to the American people, look, folks, this is what I'm up against. This is what I'm up against, and and this is what you have to combat because they are. Operating in your disinterest. Well, he, he, he didn't say that. He that, that's been going on for three and a half years now. That's my point. Bill Clinton said it in forty-eight yeah. minutes last night, and he hadn't been able to say it in three and a half years. I don't think it's, it's so much he hasn't been able to say it. I think it's he's been afraid to say it. Oh no, no. So, well, I, yeah, no. I, I that that was that was not a very good. Um, if he says that he's what he's the angry black man. If he comes out and defends himself with a fury, but see, he's somehow he, divisive. But see, he's the, he's the kind of guy, he's able to make those kinds of statements and not have that fury. No, no. It's not about him. Wait a minute. Uh, you're him. saying Bill Clinton is able to make those statements? Or, 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 or President no, I'm Obama. saying I'm saying Barack Obama has the temperament and has the the delivery exactly. to where he can make those kinds of statements very factually, very professorial, and and not have the anger that a Joe Biden demonstrated earlier tonight. It won't matter. They will still depict him as the angry black man. They'll still depict him as the divider and not the one to bring Americans together. This is not about reality with these people. These people will talk about what they want to talk about. They will charge what they want to charge. They will beat the media into some type. They will browbeat them until they talk about what they want to talk about. You will have each and every Sunday morning show asking the Democrats, 
well, why is the president so angry? And why does he do this? After he's been attacked for three and a half years. And I think then his surrogates surrogates would be able to say. What surrogate? Well, um, Deval Patrick and and Joe Biden. Now, they would be able to say, see, to me, to, I mean, I, I, I'm feeling you, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. My point is, at some, at some point, you got to swing. You got to swing. Mm-hmm. You got to mm-hmm. fight. I mean, if he had turned to Joe Wilson and said, "Your mama," no, and said, <laughs> "Is this who you are?" Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know. And, is, is this and, what we've become? Yes. Oh, would have shut him down. Yep. Oh, and this. if he had turned away from um, that crazy woman out there in Arizona and said, Jan when Brewer. You, when, when you bring your whatever craziness uh, in control, yeah. come, come see me. When you want to act like a civil human being, I'll be yes. more than happy to talk to you. Yep. That, that's that's what I'm saying. But so he just he just sits back. Alpha, you've been calling it capitulation and compromise. That's exactly what it is. When Joe Wilson yelled, "You lie!" Why did have him escorted from the building? And on his way out, say something to the effect: "If his mama didn't teach him any manners, I will." But yeah, that's my point. That that that's exact Alpha, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's what he needs to do. Yes. And and he and he that's, has he has the demeanor to where he's able to say that in a more acceptable way than if you and I were to have said it. You know, because one of the things that he has ignored is the 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 the, the tragedy of some of these attacks on him. Uh, let's let's go back to his state of the his his state of the union address, his first state of the union address, when they had Bobby Jindal, uh the the, the governor oh of, of Louisiana respond. Paiush Bobby Jindal. His I mean that was just so tragic. That was so sad and pathetic that it yeah. And there was no one who came out of the Democratic machine and said, "Is this for real?" He tried to make a purse out of a pig's eye or pig's ear, a cow's ear. With with they they tried to pretend that it had meaning, and it had no meaning. It was just pathetic. Let me give you another example, and I want you to talk about it. Uh, The other example is these out-of-order regulatory violations, Hatch Act violations that has been undertaken by federal judges across this nation participating on the bench and in their office in a partisan way. The president and the attorney general has the ability to recall these people. And they didn't do it. 
No. So everybody got permission. That's the same. That's the same thought process as turning the page on George Bush and Dick Cheney. Oh, that's the same thought press process as Nancy Pelosi saying impeachment is off the table. And that's the same thought process as Nancy Pelosi telling John Conyers, stand down. Exactly. John Conyers writes a Congressman John Conyers writes a book on why George Bush should be should be impeached, why George Bush should be investigated. And as soon as they get power, Nancy Pelosi tells John Conyers, stand down. And you never heard another word from Congressman Conyers on that issue after that. But listen to how tonight in his speech, how he couches this particular kind of issue. And I think that this has been his mistake. He, he, he said tonight, if you turn away now, if you buy into the cynicism that the change we fought for isn't possible, well, change does, will not happen if you give up on the idea that your voice can make a difference, then other voices will fill the void, lobbyists and special interests, the people with the $10 million checks who are trying to buy this election, and those who are making it harder for you to vote, Washington politicians who want to decide who you can marry or control health care choices that women should make for themselves. Now, I agree with every one of those things. But it's too nice. At some point, and I, I've said this to my 10-year-old son, when you're on the playground and the bully won't leave you alone, you got to chop him in his windpipe. Absolutely. And when, and when he's laying on the pavement grasping for air, gasping for air, then you can have a conversation with him. No, 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 no. That's when you begin to kick him in the head. Well, he's already gasping for air. So now, so now we can now we can sit down and talk. No, he can't talk. He can't even breathe. No, that's when he's listening. Now we now that you're down there clutching your throat, gasping for air. Now let me talk to you. I told you to leave me alone. I talked to him in the hospital. So I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the president to chop him in the windpipe. But but see. I think they got a very clear message from day one. When he said turn the page, they knew they had him. Yes. They knew they, knew yes. they had him. When, when he, uh, when he uh, well, it started with the Jeremiah Wright thing. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the first salvo was Joe Wilson, you lie. And because he didn't. Because he didn't take care of it then. Right. It just continued and continued. When Mitch O'Connell said that the Republican mission is to make him a one-term president, all these people that we see, John Kerry, um, the only person that I saw really responding consistently and harshly about that was Bernie Sanders, and he's not even a Democrat. That should have been looped like Jeremiah Wright. Right, absolutely. absolutely. When he was, when when the pre, last July, 
when they were debating or supposedly negotiating on the debt ceiling and there was a there was a week there was one week in July it wasn't even 7 days it was probably 3 where the where the negotiation process seemed to turn and the president seemed to have the upper hand for about 3 days over John Boehner Mm-hmm. They let it go. Yeah, you know, and and even then, I was asking the question, uh, Wilmer. I mean, um, Donna Brazil is the vice chair of the DNC, and Patrick Gaspard is the executive director. Where were they when that event happened? See, because what I get really concerned about is the backwash, because it was black people in all kinds of venues that got the backwash when he allowed that. It gave so many people, even people who considered themselves politically moderate, people who considered themselves supporters of, of Barack Obama, it gave them permission to begin the vitriol and spewing of a new kind of racist interaction in this country. Now, uh, let me ask you both about um, now that the Democratic National Convention uh, is closing down, the president has made his acceptance speech, which it it might I didn't listen to it uh, live, but I read the transcript. Uh, so I don't know, you know, and I, I'm not a big proponent of putting a lot of credence in wonderful speeches. You know, like Bill Clinton is still going to be the the the, the king of pillage uh, of Haiti. Bill Clinton is still, as far as I'm concerned, the icon of the first wave of attacks after Ronald Reagan and Bush won to carry the torch for demonizing poor people in this country and for changing fundamentally how we address the issues of poor and disenfranchised people. Bill Clinton is the the godfather, as far as I'm concerned, of the prison industrial complex and the privatization uh, wave that is going through how we deal with persons who have been sentenced into our prisons. So I'm not, you know, I I play the saxophone, but I don't put on the sunglasses. So let me ask you about what all of this is meaning now. Uh, After all the speeches and people are still, I mean, I had friends, Wilmer and Alpho, who were so enamored by Michelle Obama's speech. And I was thinking to myself, and I have a great deal of respect for Michelle Obama. I knew her when she was a student at Harvard Law School. And and any black woman who goes through and gets through some of the professional and educational achievements that she's made, you know, big, big kudos to them. But one of the things that – there are two things that disturb me about this convention. 
One is that there were people, especially African Americans, who portrayed themselves as so special that people are walking around in this country thinking they, that they are indeed special. Uh, um, Michelle Obama didn't talk about all of the other African-American women who were in her class at Princeton and who were in her class at Harvard Law School and the paths that they took and how they are special as well because many times it is about being in the right place at the right time. The other is, and, you know, you all can set me straight if I'm wrong, is this whole notion now that even though Barack Obama has many people portray him as a brilliant statesman, as a brilliant president, the smartest president that we've had um, uh, ever, that he had to be rescued by Bill Clinton. And I'm just throwing it out there. Well, I'll say this. If he had to be rescued by Bill Clinton, it's because he's the one that jumped over the wall and was hanging on. You, you, you. There, there, there are certain things that are of your own making. You are some of your problems of your of your own making. And I, this is the this is the one thing, if not the only thing, I've been critical of this president for. And that's his unwillingness, his inability, his capitulating, however you want, give it a name, of not fighting back, of not fighting these people who are going to hate you, who just simply hate you. When you say, well, we're not going to look back, we're going to move forward, that didn't make anything better. You should have prosecuted them sons of bitches and then dealt with the Insurrection, the backlash that followed, because you got the backlash anyway. And also, if I could jump in real quick on that point, our democracy demanded. We are we have a representative democracy, and one of the elements of it is holding your elected officials accountable for what they do in the name of the American people. And so, in my opinion, President Obama didn't really have the moral authority to turn the page on the crimes committed by George Bush and Dick Cheney. Our democracy demanded that they be held accountable for what they did. So when is law enforcement optional? It's not. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. It's not optional. They committed a war... We signed on to this treaty. Water, how do you get lawyers to co-sign what you want and the way you want? And that somehow, uh, that somehow out, uh, it usurps the law. It, it, that's what it did. It basically usurped the law. Because Bush said, well, we got, uh, we got a police we got counsel. We got lawyers to say that we could waterboard as long as there was a doctor there. That's not what the law says. That's not what the treaty that we signed on to says. Waterboarding is torture. That's what it says. You can equivocate. You can try to put a suit on it, make it look as good as you want. 
torture is torture. And that's what they should have been prosecuted for. Well, they I mean, is it, is it going to make a di- if it's, is it going to make a difference now that uh, Bishop Tutu is calling for uh, uh, a war crimes uh, commission on George Bush? Well, he's already been convicted of war crimes in some small Indonesian country. In, in absentia, he's been convicted of war crimes. That's why his travel schedule is incredibly limited. There are very, there are a number of places where he can't go for fear of being arrested. Exactly. Dick Cheney too. Uh, uh, who was the Rumsfeld? defense secretary? Donald Rumsfeld. In fact, there was a back during the during the Bush administration, there was a there was a, a terrorism conference in Germany. This was while Bush was still in office that Rumsfeld couldn't attend. Because they were afraid that if he got he off the plane arrested. in Germany, he would have been arrested. Yes, but 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 you know here here I think that both of you have made the point, and I think we all agree that this president, and I see it in this speech that he made tonight, a continuing theme of attempting bipartisanship. Because that's who he uh, is. That's how he was raised. And, and, you know, Bill Clinton didn't have, quote-unquote, didn't have to rescue him. Well, well, to, to Alpha's point, he, he did, but it was because of that's, that's Barack Obama's political nature. And Bill Clinton is a political gangster. Yeah, he is. And, 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 and so because a lot of what we're talking about now would never have happened during a Clinton administration. In fact, I remember when um, during the 2008 campaign they interviewed Michelle and they said, uh, you know, how are you all going to be able to withstand the scrutiny? How are you all going to be able to withstand the pressure? Are you ready for what you're about to be subjected to? And she looked in the camera and she said, don't forget, we're from Chicago. And when she said that, I said, "Oh my God, we got some stone gangsters coming up here. We got the we got the Blackstone Rangers, the El Rukins coming up in here." See, she was from Chicago, and 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 you know, we thought we were getting Southside, and we yeah. got Hyde Park. Oh yeah, Obama. Obama was never Southside. Yeah, right. Which is which is which is uh, which which is um, Bobby Rush's point. When 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 Obama was running for Congress against Bobby Rush, Bobby Rush said, "Man, you ain't from this neighborhood." He, and no. he was absolutely right. You don't come up here. You ain't from you ain't from here. And and that is why, in many ways, this president had had been able to garner a whole posse of what I call biracial, mm-hmm. uh, bi- biracial super negroes, progressive. super negroes. Yes. Or at least they think they're super negroes. Mhm, mhm. See, and uh, and 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 his politics do, you know, and 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 the the part of it that I'm not really getting to is, can't he see that over the last four months, his willingness to step up one step to their lies, to their craziness on on the left. Uh, on the right, to their uh, willingness to 
to have a parade with the tea party, the whole nine yards, that that has worked for him. Talk to the tea party. Talk to John Boehner the same way you talked to supposedly irresponsible fathers at that church on Father's Day a couple years ago. Talk to Talk to Mitch McConnell the same way you spoke to black people at the NAACP. Oh, was it the NAACP dinner? Dinner. Or yeah. the professional left. Right. Talk to talk to them like you talk at us. Yeah. So, gentlemen, before we have to try to close this out, and this has really been a pleasure, and thank you so very much, both of you, uh, because I, I do think that we need to think these through and have some, I think citizens have a, 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 a responsibility to connect. If you're going to invest your electoral capital in the Democratic Party, then you have a responsibility and an obligation to speak truth to power to them, to say to them, you can, you are you are three wheels on this cart. I mean, I think Debbie's what's it, Wasserman, Wasserman has been an absolute disaster. Oh, she is inept as they come. That's one of the reasons why there's so much confusion in 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 uh, you know uh, disorganization and lack of focus. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I don't think that you should be the head of a party and a sitting Congress member or senator because both jobs require so much focus that no one person can do them both effectively at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the other requires a great deal of compromise because you're trying to serve a constituency rather than serve the interests of the party as a whole, and your constituency may not be reflective. Uh, um, Alpha, I'm going to ask you for just some brief summary, just a very brief summary, and then uh, Dr. Leon, and so I can give our listeners information about how to listen to you and be part of your listening audience as you continue uh, this kind of dialogue through the campaign season up until November 6th. From what I can see, as you know, when I peel this onion back, I'm looking at uh, to give it a sports analogy. I'm looking at a team that's looking to hang on and win, as opposed to a rising tsunami of lies and money and criticism and just just the the perception drive for those so-called independents, and I can't understand independents. I don't don't think I'll ever be able to understand them. They're not Democrats. They're not Republicans. Then what are you? And if you are as fair-minded as you proclaim yourself to be, why isn't it that you can't see a lie? Why Why is it that you consider a party that will lie to get into office appealing as opposed to someone who is simply trying to appeal to your better nature, to your common sense, 
You can make this uh, a dog fight. You can turn this into a gun fight where the Democrats have a knife and a thesaurus. And the Republicans are simply hiding behind the big rock with their guns. Uh, it, it, it doesn't take much to see how this battle is shaping up. And anytime you, you know, you put that that type of one against the other out there, and that's what it is. They've discovered that this is us against them. And now, like I said, they want to fight slingshots and throw arrows. And they are throwing them at the tanks. And I hope Alpha they survive. Alpha of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network. He'll be broadcasting tomorrow night, 10 p.m., right here at Blog Talk Radio. Alpha, thank you so very much. Uh, we look forward to bringing our rocks at 10 p.m. tomorrow night. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can bring my guns. And Dr. Wilmer Leon, your closing thoughts. Well, the stakes in this process are so high that none of us can afford to sit on the sidelines and just let this pass by. Um, And I find it interesting that those who have the most at stake unfortunately seem to be the least interested. Those in the African-American community, uh, you know, uh, younger voters, um, the disenfranchised uh, economically and whatnot, they're the ones that really have the most to lose here. And, they're the ones who still seem we're you know we're still trying to register people to vote in the black community and that that just boggles my mind how in 2012 we are still struggling and clamoring to register people to vote uh so you know there's so much at stake here and and and, and don't take what i've said the criticisms of the president to be anti president obama because I'm not a political operative, I'm a political scientist. And so I've got to call it as I see it. And that's part of the democratic process. That's part of holding my elected officials accountable, is calling things out as I see them, especially when they're wrong. But that's the, but by participating in the process, that's how you try and set the process straight. Mm-hmm. So you got to participate. Well, thank you so very much, and we look forward to joining you on your broadcast, Inside the Issues with Dr. Wilmer Leon at XM Sirius Radio on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. My pleasure. Alpha, and, i got to get you uh, on the show. We will have to continue this uh, this dialogue. You got it. Good night. I want to close the show tonight by thanking all of you for joining us. And in 1956, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois asked the question about the 1956 election. Is the answer the election of 1956? We can make a sick man president and set him to a job which would strain a man in robust health. So he dies, and and what do we get to lead us? And he says, he goes on to say, stop yelling about a democracy we do not have. Democracy is dead in the United States. 
yet there is still nothing to replace real democracy. Drop the chains, chains then that bind our brains. Drive the money changers from the seats of the cabinet and the halls of Congress. Call back home some faint spirit of Jefferson and Lincoln, and when again we can hold a fair election on real issues, let's vote, and not till then. Is this impossible? Then democracy in America is impossible. Thank you so very much for being with us. Join us uh, on Saturday night where we will continue the dialogue about the Democratic National Convention with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. The Democratic Convention, faking the funk are bringing the noise, part two, 10 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Oh, God, shit. 
Yeah.